I would love it if you would turn in your Bibles or in the Pew Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And then just take the Bible, if you would, for a moment and just set it down. We're going to get back to it quickly here. On page 822 in the Pew Bibles. So turn there so that we can have quick access later. But right now I want to start with this question. What does being a spiritual parent have to do with passion? What does being a spiritual parent have to do with passion? You know, people in our church are really diverse when it comes to what they think we should be doing for Christ. Some want tons of structure. Like they want it all to be carefully laid out exactly how we should do everything. And then there are some who want none. Some want pure evangelism and almost like nothing more. Some want social justice and service to the poor. Some want us to be community focused so that we are coming here and then totally focused on our community around this building. Others want us to be a commuter church where people focus on their own communities And then come here as a core meeting place on Sunday mornings. Some would like us to go, and I've heard this just in the last week, they would like us to go door to door talking to people about Christ. Others want us to hold large evangelistic meetings. Some want us to leave evangelism to one-on-one presentations. Some want all of our evangelist encounters to be totally spontaneous, nothing ever planned. Just pray and God will drop somebody in front of you. Some think that friends speak is the best evangelistic tool since the tongues that were spoken on the day of Pentecost. Well, the fact is there's probably some merit in virtually all of these. I did have in the last week two different occasions where like one person was saying to me, we need to have way more structure in terms of the way that we do evangelism and the way that we carry off church. Another person, unbeknownst to this person and unbeknownst to me actually that this was coming said we need to just wait for the holy spirit no structure at all let's not ever plan anything and the holy spirit will give to each one of us situations where we can talk to others about jesus but whatever you do don't try and structure anything two completely different perspectives both existing in the same congregation well recently because we were thinking last week and, and now for the next this week and the next two weeks about the notion of outreach, I was looking at a, a magazine called Outreach Magazine in which they list every year, they do one, one uh, publication that lists the 100 fastest growing churches in North America. The 100 fastest growing churches in North America, and it's usually from like May, May 2015, say, to May 2016. And what I did was I looked through and they had descriptions of all of these different churches and quotes from different people in the churches. And I looked at the ones that were just growing by evangelism and not transfer growth. So in other words, not from people leaving one church and going to another, but people just coming out of the world. And here's what I found. What I found is that the fastest growing churches are incredibly diverse. The fastest growing churches in North America are diverse geographically, Some are suburban churches, some are inner city churches. 
They're diverse demographically. Some are racially homogeneous and some are racially diverse. They are diverse economically. Some are in areas of affluence. Some are in areas of poverty. They're diverse in method, with some churches focusing on their Sunday morning services, others focusing only on their small groups. They're diverse in terms of how much community service they do, with some being very community service oriented and some not so much. Some are really involved with foreign missions, some not. Some have elaborate ministry systems with hundreds of official ministries, Some have only a few official ministries and are very simple. Some credit their growth to their pastors, some to their structures, some despite their pastors. Some won't talk about anything to do with method or programming or planning. They only want to talk, as I said a moment ago, about the Holy Spirit who works among them. So here is certainly something I would say, and that is that growing churches have all kinds of structures, all kinds of methods, all kinds of vocabularies, all kinds of personalities, all kinds of approaches, all kinds of mission statements, all kinds of vision statements, and all kinds of ministries. It's incredible to me, within that list of the 100 fastest growing churches in North America, just how diverse these churches are. Now, despite their vast diversity, the fastest growing churches share what I see as four characteristics, no matter what church you look at. So I went through and I looked at all these different churches and there were four characteristics that really jumped out at me. And so what I want to do is talk about these four first. And here's the first one. Evangelistically growing churches share, first of all, a passion for knowing and loving God. A passion for authentic, transforming relationship with him shown in prayer, learning, worship, and for participating in his impact on the world through service on behalf of the kingdom. That's the first thing I noticed. These people are passionate about the things of God and are absolutely authentic when it comes to focusing on something like transforming relationship with him. Shown in these various ways. And I just thought it was interesting that they all certainly share that. Here's the second thing that they all share. They also all share a passion for those who don't know or love God. And they want these people to have authentic transforming relationships with God. Just like they do in number one. So we got people who love God in number one. Who have this passionate desire to be his people. And number two is that those who... These churches who are doing well evangelistically have a passion for those who don't have what's in number one. And so they specifically are concerned about this. It's on their hearts. They want others to have transforming relationships with God, just like in number one. And then thirdly, there's a passion on the parts of those people for relationship building with those who don't know God. So that those people who don't know him can have what's in one and two so that they can have not only a passion for God, but also a passion for those who don't know him. And then they want to have relationship with these people. So you love God. You have a passion for those who don't love God. 
And then you have a passion to build relationship with those who don't know God. And then fourthly, there's a passion for discipleship. Helping everyone to actually share what's in number one, number two, and number three. So you have people who love God, who then are really passionate about the fact that there are others who don't know God, and they want to build relationships. They're passionate about building relationships with people who don't know God. And then when they build relationships with them, they want to disciple those people specifically for the Lord. Now, this is pretty obvious, folks. I think you're astute enough to get this. But if I said to you, what is, in all four of these, the key ingredient that seems to consistently hold throughout? What is it, church? No, it's that they all have numbers in front of them. Yes, of course it's passion. They are trying to love the Lord God with all their hearts, with all their souls, with all their minds, with all their strengths. They are trying, no matter what they're doing, to to do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through the Father. giving thanks to God through Jesus. And and we need to do the same. But there's a question about whether or not we do. Like whether or not we really desire that the way that others do and in fact the way that the early church did. Let me show you something from the Apostle Paul. Look at this from Philippians 3. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And you can just sense in Paul passion. He wants to know Christ. Look at this from just a few verses later. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And I love that last line, that all of us who are mature are supposed to think of things just like this, Paul says. Pressing on, forgetting what is behind, and obviously passionate about the things of God. And so the greatest missionary and writer and theologian in the history of Christianity was characterized by an immense passion for the things of Christ. And now I want to look at 2 Corinthians 11. We've already turned there in our Bibles. Let's read this together. Look at verse 21. And I don't know if all the Bibles will separate it into paragraphs, but you look at the the way the paragraph break works here, and it's kind of in the middle of verse 21. It says, What anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, 
been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Wow. If there's anything that comes across in Paul's litany of all the things that he has faced, it's his passion. Why would he put up with this? Why would he allow these things to exist in him? And it's because Paul is, of course, possessed by the gospel. There's this immense passion in him for the things of Christ. You know, I know what it's like to have passion. When I was in university, I ran three times a day. I was running 15 miles a day for a good portion of my university career. I know what it's like to desire to shoot a really big buck. Like I know what it's like to to spend money that you don't have trying to get things that will allow you to do that. I know what it's like to have passion about my boys coming up at Christmas time and being with the rest of my family as they're going to do in just a few weeks. I get excited about that. In fact, there are now three grandkids who are going to come up and join Robin and I for Christmas because Adam and Stephanie are adopting a little boy, as I've told you before. And so I am excited about these people coming to our house and spending time with us. I can get really passionate about that. And when it turns to start buying Christmas presents for my grandchildren, the passion just goes beyond, you know, beyond the, uh, the bounds of excitement. I can get excited about that. So I know what it is to be passionate. But I don't think that I have a clue about passion when it comes to comparing any passion I have to the passion that Paul had for being what God wanted him to be. You read through Paul's description of what he experienced all for the sake of the gospel. And it's amazing. And the only reason that Paul was willing to go through all of that is because he had incredible passion for bringing people to Jesus. Well, I asked this question right at the beginning about what spiritual parenting has to do with passion. And the reason I say that is because spiritual parenting is language which is familiar to us. And so spiritual parent is the language that we have chosen, part of the method or structure that we use 
that describes the mature Christian who possesses and acts on the passions we just mentioned. That, more than anything else, describes what a spiritual parent is. It's somebody who is really passionate about the things of God. And so this morning, I just want to ask this question. Is it your desire to be a spiritual parent? Really? Is it your desire to be a spiritual parent? Do you have a passion about being a spiritual parent? And I want you to hear me correctly here. Because I'm not asking you if you think that we should help everyone to become a mature spiritual parent. I think it's given that we should. So I'm not asking you whether or not we should be working to help everybody to become a spiritual parent. I think that's evident. I'm not asking if you agree with all the specifics of a certain definition of a spiritual parent. Given our diversity, it would be pretty hard to say that we're all going to agree what that looks like. I'm not asking you to evaluate others as to whether or not they have reached the point of being a spiritual parent. In fact, the log in your own eye, of which I see several, those logs are way too big for you to be evaluating, evaluating whether or not somebody else in the room has become a spiritual parent. Those logs prevent you from asking that question. I'm not suggesting that if you're not a spiritual parent by now, that you should give up. Or that if our church corporate is not yet full of spiritual parents, that we should settle for something less. I'm simply asking the question of you, is it your desire to be a spiritual parent? Do you want to live a mature Christian life that possesses and acts on the passions that I mentioned before? Because if you do, like if you're really passionate about being a spiritual parent, like if you can, with all honesty, honesty, say, yes, indeed, I really do want to be a spiritual parent. It means some things for you. In the same way that if you say, I want to be a parent, I want to have children. And you start working toward actually having children, preparing for children, being the kind of parent that you want to be. It means some things in your life. You can't just say, oh, I want to be a parent and then have it just happen. And you haven't thought about it at all. And then for you to be passionate about being a parent. You might be a parent, but you're not going to be passionate about being a parent. And I want to know whether or not you are passionate about being a spiritual parent this morning. But it means certain things for you if you do. If you are passionate about this. And here's some things that it means. First, it means that you will possess the passions of a spiritual parent. And that's so much of the morning today. Do we have the passions of a spiritual parent? And so passionately focusing on knowing and loving God, prayer, learning, worship, service on behalf of his kingdom, do you passionately possess this kind of attitude? Are you passionate for those who don't know and love God to have relationship with him? Do you want them to have relationship with him? Is that your desire? Are you passionate for relationship building with those who don't know or love God so that they themselves can come to know him? Are you passionate about that? And then are you passionate for discipling others to become passionate reproducing spiritual parents? This is part of what it means to be a spiritual parent, to have this kind of passion and for these things. There are some other things that it means. 
It means that you will possess the spiritual orientation of a spiritual parent. And so, you're going to be Holy Spirit dependent and Holy Spirit led if you are a passionate spiritual parent. You're going to be spiritually focused and undistracted. And this is, unfortunately, one of the things that that gets us more than anything else and, and keeps us from being the passionate spiritual parents that God wants us to be. Just the fact that we're so distracted and not as spiritually focused as we should be. It means growing spiritually. You're not going to be stagnant and remaining exactly where you are when it comes to becoming God, what God wants you to be. You need to grow spiritually. We all do. So you're going to possess the spiritual orientation of a spiritual parent if, in fact, you are passionate about being one. And then kingdom-oriented just means that we're going to be continuing to do in our world the very things that God wants his kingdom to do and to be in our world. Okay, third thing. You're going to have the mindset of a spiritual parent, which means things like this. You're going to be reproduction-minded. What does it mean to be a parent? It means that you reproduce. It means you're going to be intentional and strategic and not just letting this happen all the time spontaneously. And sometimes people, by the way, would say, well, if we're intentional and strategic, then the Holy Spirit doesn't have the role that he needs to play. And I would disagree. And so just a moment ago, I put up on the screen that we need to be Holy Spirit led. And I think one can be both Holy Spirit-led and intentional and, strategic at the ta- uh, intentional and strategic at the same time. I don't think those are in any way mutually exclusive. We're going to be church family, church community, unity oriented if we are spiritual parents. Trying to be unified with this body, going in the direction this body is going, indeed, if we're part of this body. So we'll have that kind of mindset. And then we're going to be responsible and dependable. You can't plan to be a spiritual parent and then plan to be irresponsible at the same time. This doesn't work very well. And then, finally, you're going to act like a spiritual parent, which means you're going to do the things that our passions call out of us. And so we are indeed going to know and love God, shown in prayer, learning, worship, and service on behalf of the kingdom. We're going to actually be that, not just have a passionate heart for it, but we're going to live like that. We're going to build relationships with those who don't know and love God. And you have to ask yourself, if you're trying to be a spiritual parent, if you're passionate about being a spiritual parent right now, you have to ask yourself, do I have those kinds of relationships? Am I pursuing those kinds of relationships? And if you're not, then maybe you're not so passionate or maybe you're not as mature as you think you are. But we need to have those kinds of relationships. And then we need to disciple others to become passionate reproducing spiritual parents. Well, I think that this defines pretty well what a spiritual parent is all about. And that's pretty easy to do. We're going to put this on the website. You're going to have a chance to look at this again during the week if you want to. Go over this again and get a pretty clear picture of what it means to be a spiritual parent. But you're still going to be left with this question. Is it your desire to be a spiritual parent? And I don't think there are very many people here this morning who would say to that question, no. 
No, I don't really want to be one. I'd rather remain an infant in Jesus. Not many people would say that. But like I said in the beginning, despite the fact that we might say to this, yes, our passions sometimes betray us. Or maybe I should say the lack of our passion betrays us. And our lack of willingness to do the kind of things that spiritual parents do, that betrays us. So that we might say yes when all of our actions tend to point in the direction of saying no. And we have all kinds of reasons and all kinds of excuses why we think we can say yes but then act like no. And we need to overcome that. We need to overcome in our hearts saying, yes, I want to be a spiritual parent, but then in everything about us, indicating exactly the opposite. And really saying no. So the question is, do we really have passion for this? Last week, I asked you this question, and I asked you to look at this over the week. I said, what should it look like when I'm a disciple reaching out to others with the message about Christ and his kingdom? What should this look like? And I would say that more than anything else, what this looks like, at least this morning, is passion. Passion for the things of God to the point where we become different people behaving in certain ways like mature disciples because we're so passionate about doing what God wants us to do. And so we become spiritual parents, mature disciples who possess a passion for reproducing. And what I want us to do this week, more than anything else, is to do a passion check. And so I'm going to have Hope put up on the website, as I said, the four areas of passion that I think are really important here in terms of describing the passions of a spiritual parent, and we need to look at those. And then, here at the end, just because I think this is a this is a fitting way for us to close our time together. I've asked Mark Stuckey, if he would, to come and share a story that he told in Life Group on Thursday night about being in Brazil. And Mark went to Brazil several years ago from Canada as a missionary. He met Giselle there, and they are now married and have come and joined us here, and I'm grateful for their presence. But Mark told a story about uh, a situation that he was in in which someone came to Christ. And it, it, it's a great story because Mark had a passion to go to Brazil and to see people come to know Jesus. And what he's going to tell you is the kind of thing that happens when someone has a passion for leading others to Christ. Because God doesn't just say no to that kind of situation. Mark? As Pastor Kelly said, I made the mistake of sharing this in a small group, and he's conned me into coming and sharing it today. Um, I was a missionary in Brazil working with uh, drug-addicted youth, and um, I was working with a, a Brazilian organization. And uh, we had one particular boy, the story's about him, who just could not believe and could not wrap his mind around the fact that God could love him and that God could care about him because he said many times, 
I've done too much. I've done some hideous things. I've done some horrible things. He was involved in drugs and crime and violence. And he just could not get his mind wrapped around the fact that God could care about him, that God would forgive him. And one day he was on kitchen duty, and we were a mission that relied on donations. And he called me and another worker over, and he said, what are we going to have for breakfast? Look at the pantry. It's, it's empty. And I think, if my memory serves me right, there was a bit of margarine and some salt. doesn't make for a great breakfast. And he said, we don't have anything for breakfast. What do I do? And the other worker, thank God he had a lot more faith than I did, he said, put the water on the boil, God will provide a few minutes later, one of the uh, board members of the organization rode up on his motorcycle, and he said, I don't know why, I just feel compelled to bring this this morning. And he handed us two kilos of sugar and a kilo of coffee. So we now had something to drink. And the boy said, well, we got something to drink, but what are we going to eat? And a few minutes later, a guy drove up, and he said, I own a bakery, a, a bread store in this area of the city. And he said, I had a batch that didn't rise, so I can't sell it. Would you guys mind if I gave it to you? He said, it's still edible. It's just a little chewy. Bring it. We were quite happy. And he handed us a couple bags of bread, and we ate the chewy bread and drank the coffee. And then the boy said to me and the other worker, he said, if God really cares about me, can I pray? Sure. And he prayed, and he said, God, if you do love me, if you do care about me, I'd like beans and rice for lunch with beef steak, little thin beef steaks and onions. And I'll be honest, I kind of... My heart kind of jumped. I thought, oh, Lord, we don't have anything in the pantry. How are we going to get that? And it was a crazy morning. We were running around. We had an attempt at knifing in the unit and some other things. And that boy knew that we couldn't have have done anything to get any food. And at 11.30, he called us over and he said, see, even if I had the beans and rice right now, I couldn't cook them in time for lunch. And you get that feeling like, oh, Lord, please, please provide. At 10 to 12, a man drove up that I'd never seen in my life. And he said, I'd like to give a donation, but I don't want to offend you. He said, my daughter had a wedding last night. And we had the reception, and he said, we had a lot of leftovers. Would you be offended if I gave you the leftovers? <laughs> no, of course not. And he opened his car in the back seat and handed out a big container of beans, just the way the boy had asked for them, and a big container of rice. Then he opened his trunk and took out a big container of vegetables. Now, young men don't care about vegetables, let's be honest. But then he handed out a great big container of beefsteaks fried with onions. That boy got down on his knees on that greasy kitchen floor. And he accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And he said, Lord, you do care about me. And he saw the love of the Lord miraculously provided through people that we didn't contact and ask them to do it. God laid it on their heart. And God proved his love to that young man. That young man went ahead with the Lord. And I met him many times. And last time I saw him, he said to me, Mark, do you remember those those beef steaks? I said, yeah. He said, I don't forget how God proved his love to me. So I just wanted to share that with you. Thank you, folks. Thanks, Mark. You know, what's so wonderful about that story, I mean, first of all, it happens firsthand to Mark, and it's, you know, it's just a blessing that God works in those ways. But the second thing is, is that God shows himself through stories like that 
that the passion that we would have in attempting to bring others to Christ is totally justified. Like God wants to bring people to himself. And for us to be passionate about that, it's like being passionate about something that's really worth being passionate about. We're passionate about a God who works in our world and in our lives and in the lives of others because he loves them and he wants them to be his children. And about that, we need to be passionate. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today for the, just the blessing of being together and, and being able to talk about what it means to honor and serve you and give ourselves completely to you. God, we come up with excuses all the time why, why we, don't even, we don't even do the things that, that we know to do. Even when we lay out a, a structure and say, well, we're going to follow this. A lot of times we just don't even follow it. God, we want very much for you to work among us. Help us to give ourselves completely to you. Take away the excuses, take away the barriers. And help us to just be passionate in this world for you. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen.